This morning, we have the privilege of hearing the preaching of God's word by Pastor Adam Polk. Adam is originally from Northeast Tennessee and has served as a pastor for 20 years. Adam moved to Southern Maryland in 2011, where he served as an associate pastor of Leonardtown Baptist Church. He led a transition team to launch a second campus of Leonardtown to become Redeeming Grace Baptist since 2015, of which he became the founding and senior pastor. Adam is married to Jennifer, and they have five children, Cody, Rachel, Colin, Riley, and Sophia. He's a graduate from Boyce College and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and has served churches in Tennessee and Kentucky before moving to Maryland. Adam, thank you for serving us this morning. We anticipate your preaching of God's Word. certainly a joy to be here this morning and grateful for the ministry that's taking place here through Arlington Baptist Church. Very much appreciate your pastor, and although I don't know his family as well, but I know Mike and appreciate the ministry that he leads here and grateful for uh, his fellowship in so many ways. Do encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 12 and looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning together. Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. As you make your way there, I want to read this passage. And as we read this passage, we understand that these are words written by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they are authoritative for our lives. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for giving us these words, not only so that we can be instructed by them, 
but so that our lives could be governed by them. Father, we know that we live in a world and in a day that often tests us and our allegiance to you and our commitments to you and our faithfulness. So, Lord, as we look into your word here in Luke this morning, by your spirit, would you give us understanding of it and help us by your grace to apply it, that we may persevere in faithfulness for your glory. Lord, would you give us wisdom now as we consider these truths, these verses, change us by them and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Are you a loyal person? If people were describing you, would that be something they would describe as? Are you loyal? Is it evident in your commitment to your family, to your employer, to other relationships that you have, that you are indeed loyal? And if so, has your loyalty ever been tested? Maybe through a difficult employer, maybe even a relationship that has stretched you in, in some way. There are lots of things in this life that can test our loyalty. Our greatest sense of loyalty as Christians, certainly, is the loyalty that we have to Jesus. And believe me, that loyalty, our loyalty to Christ, will be tested often. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I will have many things in this world, in our lives, that will compete for our loyalty even. You'll find many things in this world that will push you to compromise your loyalty to Jesus. And even good things, maybe, maybe it's safety or comfort or other things such as cultural acceptance or politics or temptations to sin. All of these things and many more are are things that will test us and test our commitment to Jesus, our loyalty to him. And so we need help. We need help, especially as we live in a world and face a world filled with opportunities and a world filled with temptations to soften or to cause us to compromise our loyalty to Jesus. Thankfully, the Lord gives us that help in his word. And this morning, we're looking here at Luke chapter 12, these first 12 verses of this chapter. Here, Jesus and his disciples find themselves surrounded by a growing number of people. We're told in verse 1, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. This was a, a massive crowd, a scene which the disciples and Jesus had found themselves in. Remember just in chapter 11, Jesus had been at a Pharisee's home and dined. And now as they were moving along, surrounded by many people. And in the midst of all of the, the people, Jesus has a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with his disciples. He's continuing to prepare them. In fact, throughout the gospel account of Luke and, and the other gospels as well, you see Jesus preparing his disciples for what was to come. 
not only for their present ministry alongside him, but once he died and was raised and ascended to the Father in heaven, he knew, Jesus understood what the disciples had ahead of them, and he is preparing them. He's preparing them for these challenges. And here it's imperative that they are given a lesson in what we could say, a lesson in maintaining loyalty to Jesus. That's certainly what the Bible would have for us as we think about our relationship to Christ. As we think about Luke chapter 12, these first 12 verses, really the the main idea I want us to consider and put our minds around this morning is this, that our loyalty to King Jesus must remain firm despite all of the things that would seek to influence us otherwise. As we think about this loyalty, a loyalty to Jesus, here in these verses, Jesus identifies several considerations that we need to to take a look at. We We could call this a loyalty check, if you will. As we think about what such loyalty looks like, in a world where we're often pressed and pushed against, our loyalty to Jesus can be tested. So as we walk through this text, let's consider these characteristics of of loyalty, we could say, or as we walk through this loyalty check, we're going to consider three, three things about loyalty to Jesus that we not only should understand, but give our lives to. The first is this, that our loyalty is evident in how we live. The first three verses, Jesus, as he's speaking his disciples, he continues to shine light upon the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees. In chapter 11, verse 39, and again in 46, he had pointed to these inconsistencies, these hypocritical ways of the the Pharisees. They had presented a a false sense of piety. What they had presented outwardly did not match that which was true inwardly. They were only able to give the impression of holiness because they were misdirected in their fundamental understanding of God's purpose and grace. You see, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees was problematic in that they wanted to appear loyal to God when, in fact, they truly weren't. It's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Jesus' message was clear to his disciples. Beware of the Pharisees. Beware of their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy exposes the fact that they are not loyal to me. They are not loyal to God. Don't fall into the same trap. As Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples, he gives a couple of motivations as to why they should not give way to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The first motivation he gives is the impact of this hypocrisy. He says, beware... In verse verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven, he says, or yeast, is a small piece of fermented dough often used to ferment other dough and used in the 
bread make process. This leaven would spread throughout the entire loaf and, and the, uh, the bread to, to, be, to be produced. In the New Testament, though, leaven, the word leaven, this idea, this imagery of leaven was, was often used as a symbol for evil influence. Just as the the leaven or the yeast influences the dough and and brings about bread, leaven in in, in the scriptures is often used to reference the evil influence that would be at play in a particular person's life. This leaven would corrupt. And so the leaven of the Pharisees, we could say, had a corrupting influence. And Jesus identifies that here as hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was this false representation of the faith. You see, the Pharisees got it wrong from the very beginning. They wouldn't even represent their own religious system that they had constructed. They would not even do that consistently. Thus they hindered so many from entering the kingdom of God, as Jesus would say in chapter 11, verse 52. You see, this is a warning for the disciples. It's a warning for any follower of Jesus Christ. A warning that we need to hear very clearly. Here Jesus is specifically condemning the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, those who would misrepresent the truth of God and his word and his ways. And Jesus understood that this misrepresentation, this hypocrisy, had a ripple effect on so many other people. We know the word hypocrite comes from a word meaning to act. It was a a term used in the the theater. That's exactly what hypocrites do. They, They play the part. The Pharisees were expert play actors. How does this flush out today? Well, hypocrisy, we know, can be exhibited in so many ways. In any way that we give ourselves to a pattern of life that is not consistent with the biblical truth, with the gospel. It can be seen by a lifestyle that consistently contradicts God's word. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 15, verse 8, He said, they honor me, With their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It could be seen by even associating Jesus with things that aren't of God. Thus we misrepresent the kingdom of God. It's seen by emphasizing certain biblical commands over others. Let's be sure to tithe, but often neglect biblical commands of love and justice. Sounds, in our circles, it will often sound like things like, like, well, you can't be a true or serious Christian if you aren't engaging in this cause or doing this this way. It often is seen in and examples of how we will often minimize our sin while maximizing the sin of others. So many ways that this hypocrisy, this leaven of hypocrisy can, can weave its way throughout our lives and, and not only impact us, but as did the Pharisees, impact so many other people. 
So Jesus is saying, let us not fall into the trap and corruption of any type of hypocrisy. It not only destroys our lives, it has a corrupting impact on others. But not only do we see here the impact of hypocrisy, we see the exposure of it. The exposure of hypocrisy. The corrupting influence of hypocrisy is certainly a motivation for us to avoid. But Jesus highlights here the judgment of God as well. Notice in verse 2, he says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I think what is implied here is the coming judgment where all would be revealed. Verse 3 goes on, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You see, they may have have their way now in the present, that these, these hypocrites, these Pharisees, he's saying. They, they may get, get away with it now, but there's coming a day when, when all would be seen and all would be revealed for what it truly is. It was a sobering reminder to the disciples, one, a sobering reminder to me, to us, that hypocrisy will not stand forever. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's the one from which nothing can be hidden. And that simply, friends, serves as a reminder to us, a sobering reminder and warning to us that even our deepest hypocrisy will one day be exposed for what it truly is. There's a warning for us here. This was a warning to the disciples and to us that there will be times when we may be tempted to compromise God's word, God's truth, in order to be seen favorably by others. This was Jesus' main point here with the disciples. Don't forsake the truth for the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's saying, remember, there will be a time when all will be revealed Sometimes that's the case in the present, but it's especially true in the judgment. Remember that God knows and sees all, and we are accountable to him. Brothers and sisters, this ought to serve as a warning for those of us who are filled with hypocrisy. We aren't talking about those of us who are merely wrestling with sin seeing sin for what it is and, and confessing and pursuing repentance. That's the life of a disciple. We're talking about here the, the one who seeks to cover up their sin by righteous behavior, or at least righteous-looking behavior. For those who are representing something and calling it Christianity, when that's not it at all. Jesus gives us this warning that our hypocrisy will be exposed. Let this be a warning to your own soul, to your own heart, and that we would take heed to it. Loyalty to Christ is a matter of the heart, and our sincerity will be seen for what it is. Hypocrisy is a great enemy of loyalty. The second observation we see a characteristic here 
of, of loyalty, evidence of loyalty, is that our loyalty is evident through what we fear. It's evident in how we live, but it's evident through what we fear. We see that here in verses 4 through 7. It seems that in verse 4, Jesus moves from hypocrisy to another subject, to that of fear. Is the desire to please others, to be seen with approval, even if you are presenting something that's not true. So Jesus presses in further, and, and he's, he's instructing his, his disciples. He says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See what Jesus is doing. Remember, he's preparing his disciples. He's discipling his disciples. He's equipping them for their life in the present, but for what was to come. He's preparing them for persecution. If they are going to stand firm on the truth, if they are going to remain loyal to, to Christ and the gospel, then unlike the Pharisees, they needed to know that they would be opposed and persecuted. And his message is simple. Don't fear those who can kill your body. Fear him who can not only kill you, but has authority to cast you into hell. So Jesus presses in further here. Think about your loyalty to Jesus being evident through what you fear. There's a couple of things that I think Jesus is, is calling us to here. He's, he's calling us to, to, as we see in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, where Paul will often call us to put off something and put on something else. We could say that Jesus is, in essence, calling us to put off the fear of man and to put on the fear of God. Do not fear those who can kill you. Put that away. But rather fear the one who not only can kill you, but has authority over you. Put on that kind of fear. That is a healthy God. Let's consider, all, first of all, this, this calling of putting off the fear of man. Jesus never promises us full physical protection in this life. Nor does he promise to keep us from opposition. In fact, many times over, he warns us about it. He instructs us how to approach it when it happens. There will be those who will oppose us. There will be those who will seek to silence us. There will be those who will seek to perhaps even harm and kill us. And Jesus says here that we must not fear them. After all, the worst thing they can do is kill you. Now think about this exhortation for a moment. How important it is for us to, to, to see what Jesus is saying. He's speaking here to his disciples 
two of which we know would end up denying him very soon. Peter would end up denying Jesus three times. Jesus warned him that that would be the case. And we know Judas. This is an important exhortation because if if you don't think it's possible for some of the closest people to Jesus to struggle with the fear of man, then I would just encourage you to go spend some time with some of these disciples like Peter, Judas. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know, I realize that here in the West, we don't experience opposition or persecution on the level that many of our brothers and sisters in other nations do. Our allegiance, our loyalty to Jesus will be tested, but to be frank, it costs us little in comparison to what it costs many of our brothers and sisters elsewhere. Maybe our job our reputation, our relationships, but definitely not our life, at least in most situations here. Yet even when it comes to reputation, to employment, to relationships, we are often tempted to be more concerned about how we are perceived by others than we are with what the Lord thinks. As Edward Welch puts in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, he said we're more concerned, when he's talking about the fear of man, the the fear of man being this this idea that, that we are more concerned about looking stupid than we are about acting sinfully. We're more concerned with a fear of people about what we may be, how we how we may look to them than we are with acting. Sinfully offending God with offending people than we are with offending God where where, where this idea of his book title comes when when people become big and and God is small in comparison. This idolatrous idolatrous tendency to, to be more concerned with what people think of us than we are with faithfulness, righteousness, and truth. So this exhortation, which points to how we should not fear those who can kill us, the greatest threats from a human. If Jesus is saying that, then then how much more should we not fear others when the threat is less than that? You see his, his argument, he's like, you, you shouldn't fear those who can kill the body. That, that's the worst thing that a human can do to you. Therefore, don't fear them. And so when that threat is much less than that, certainly this truth remains. Fear of man is a real struggle. I struggle with fear of man. Every Christian, to some degree, struggles with fear of man. Again, to quote Welch, he says, the fear of man is no respecter of persons. It might be called codependency by adults, 
peer pressure with teens or shyness with children, but whatever it is called, it all betrays the same idolatrous hearts. Jesus says, put off this fear. Do not fear those who can kill the body. But put on godly fear. Fear him. Put on the fear of God. Fear him who can kill body and soul. Fearing God is something that sounds strange to our modern ears when, we call, when we're talking about as Christians that we need to fear the Lord. Because we think of fear as, as something negative oftentimes. Yet the fear of the Lord is, is, is language rooted deep in the Old Testament as was read from Proverbs 1 this morning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Typically when we think of fearing something or someone, we think of avoiding or running from. But this idea here biblically has to do with a sense of awe and reverence and treasuring, holding in high esteem, trusting. What are some motivations to grow in our fear of God? Jesus gives us a few here. First of all, we need to recognize his unlimited authority. Jesus says the worst a fellow man can do to you is kill you, but God can not only take you out, he has authority to assign you to hell. So verse 5. This, this word hell is the place of the dead, named after a place in the valley of Hinnom, which was a ravine south of Jerusalem that basically served as a trash dump where material and dead criminals would be burned. It was a terrible place. And this, turn, this, this, this physical place is, is, is now used to illustrate the reality of judgment. God's authority is not only in this life, it extends to that of the next. Thus we need to fear him above all others. Friends, you think about this, this, this basic truth, this, this basic truth of fearing God. Is, is not that the, the, the very issue, the core issue of what happened in the Garden of Eden? That Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, that they turned their backs. They, they threw out a sense of fear of God in that moment. And it led to their sin. Mankind's problems began by rejecting this most basic truth. And you may be here today, not, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not walking with Christ and, and you hear this, this, this warning. And I would just remind you that, that it's a warning, that, that it's a real warning. Jesus is, is warning his disciples that there's coming a day when all would stand before God and God has authority to judge. And those who do not fear God and who do not walk in his ways and truth, who are not rightly reconciled to him, will be cast into judgment. Indeed, our only hope is in the very one 
who gave these words of warning to his disciples. He's the one who would ultimately go and be condemned to a criminal's cross. And as he died, taking upon himself the judgment that we deserve as those who have rejected the, this idea of fearing God. We've rejected God, and yet Christ takes upon himself the judgment that sinners deserve. So that if you would look to Christ and put your hope and faith in him, your sin would be forgiven. And you would be reconciled to God. And, and, and you begin to recognize this authority that God has and, and put yourself underneath that authority and reconciled to God through Jesus. So we need to recognize the unlimited authority of God if we are going to rightly fear him. Not only that, we should rejoice in his meticulous care. Another reason we are to fear the Lord really is also a comfort to us. Jesus acknowledges God's care over his creation and points to the truth that God's care extends all the way down to the general parts of creation that seem insignificant. He uses the example here of a sparrow. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. A sparrow was often the cheapest thing sold in the market. Despite being the cheapest thing sold, despite the bird's insignificance, not one of them, Jesus says, escapes God's attention. I think Jesus is actually using this here in a bit of a humorous way. Jesus is basically saying, listen, you are valuable to God. You're, you're even more important than a, than a handful of birds. But he's making a right point. You see the logic of his argument. If God cares so meticulously about insignificant birds, how much more you? Therefore, you can trust him. Therefore, you should fear him. Friends, we all fear someone or something. Jesus is simply exhorting here his followers to make sure that the object of their fear is the Lord. Because what you fear is ultimately what you serve. The Lord has authority over you and he cares deeply for you. Therefore, he must be the object of your fear. Friend, what things are you tempted to trust in or fear over the Lord? A third point, a third observation we see in regards to our loyalty. Not only is our loyalty evident in how we live and what we fear, it's evident in what we confess. We see that in the following verses in 8 through 12. Again, at the heart of these verses, I believe, is this call, this implied call to loyalty, to remain faithful to Christ, despite what may come and try to push you away. And part of that loyalty will be what we say and what we claim with our mouth. And likely here, the, the context Jesus has in mind is, is persecution. Persecution. 
But certainly, the instruction he gives applies generally. He says, and I tell you, everyone, verse 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Again, yes, he, he's, he's preparing them for the opposition, for the persecution that they would soon face. I think a good question to ask here about this, this acknowledging before men, acknowledging or denying. Is Jesus referring to one instance of denial or a pattern of denial? Like if you, if you deny Jesus just once, are you, are you like, Think again of Peter. Later on, we know Jesus warned him this would happen, but after Jesus was arrested, Peter was confronted by multiple people being accused of being an associate of Jesus. And three times, Peter denies not knowing him or having anything to do with him. Yet Peter was restored and used mightily of God. But Judas denied Jesus for money and perished in his denial. I think what we have to keep in mind here is Jesus is calling his disciples to this sense of loyalty through confession. It's a, it's a pattern, a posture of the heart. Two things about confessing Christ we should note here from this text. First of all, our confession highlights our status. Confessing Christ before others is really foundational to our discipleship. We have to confess Christ as Lord, as King, as Savior in order to be His, to, to, to be a Christian, to be a disciple. Yet there will be many times when confessing him in a world that is opposed to him will be challenging and difficult. The greatest hypocrisy is saying that we trust Jesus while denying him before others. Some of you may even think, I cannot imagine a situation Maybe you've been following Christ for a long time, and you think to yourself, I cannot imagine a situation where I would deny my Savior. I know it's good to, to hear these things, Pastor, but I just can't imagine me being in a situation where I would verbally say I have nothing to do with Jesus. I can't fathom that. Peter said the same thing. The same day he denied Jesus. Remember when Jesus was warning him of this coming denial, Peter says to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And that's exactly what he did three times. 
A necessary part of being a loyal disciple of Jesus is being willing to publicly acknowledge him. I think we need the humility. We need the humility that, that says there could very well be an opportunity because of fear of man that I might be tempted to deny Jesus. If, if that is not even a category from which you think, it's, it's one that I think the Bible is saying you need to have. It's a healthy check of our hearts. That there may very well be, you may not be able to think of, an, of a situation, but there may very well be a time when you would be tempted to deny Jesus. We, we need that humility. Because a necessary part of being a loyal disciple is being willingly to publicly acknowledge Jesus no matter the cost. Even when it's hard, even when it may cost you something, a relationship, a job, He also gives strong warning about the extreme end of such denial. He, he makes reference here to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of discussion as to what that means. I will trust that, that Mike teaches you well on that. And at the very least, it's a denial of Jesus that is never repented of. Not saying that if someone denies Jesus, they can never come to him. I think you see in the example of Peter that there is a, there is a, a type of denial that can be repented of and even as a disciple restored. And so, friend, if you're here and, and you're thinking, okay, I'm not a Christian, but, but I've, maybe, maybe you've been an atheist or maybe you've just, maybe you've had like part of your life has just been spent on denying Jesus and you think there's just no hope this text just just maybe is the nail in the coffin I, there's no hope for me I've denied him and I would just encourage you that there's plenty of examples of where men and women have denied Jesus and Jesus has saved them restored them it's pointing to a denial that has settled over time a persistent rejection of the spirit's work to testify to Jesus's works and power But our, our confession highlights our status. But it also is empowered by the Spirit. This confession is, is something that, that, that you don't have in any of your own strength. He's referring here in verse 11 and 12 to the time when the disciples would be brought before authorities and persecuted. He says, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I've heard pastors use this text before as, as, a, as an excuse as to why they shouldn't study for a sermon. Well, the Holy Spirit will give me what I need in that moment. Well, Jesus is not saying that. He, he's referring clearly here to times when, when the disciples would be persecuted and and opposed and that they would be suddenly brought before authorities. And he's just simply saying, don't panic in that moment. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you and give you what you need in the moment in which you need it. It's an encouragement to them. 
Notice, by the way, too, he, he's, he's not saying, if you truly follow me, I will make sure you escape all forms of opposition. If you truly follow me, if, you're loyal to, if, you'll, if, you're, if you remain loyal to me, I'm going to make sure that you're not persecuted. He doesn't say any of that. He's saying he's expecting it. In fact, Jesus would say in, in another place that, that if they persecuted me, please know they will persecute you. Part of being a follower of Jesus means you will be opposed in this world. You will be persecuted in some capacity. And our loyalty to Jesus matters much in those moments. It matters in every moment, but especially in those moments. Our confession of Christ is a confession that is empowered by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present to guide and teach us in what we should do and what we should say in all moments, and especially in times of great trial. Therefore, we should rest confidently that even in our greatest test of loyalty to God, the Spirit is present to sustain and strengthen us in those moments. Maybe, maybe you struggle with, an, with, with fear. Maybe you worry there will be a time when you would be opposed or persecuted to a point of denying God and you worry about that. What will I say in those moments? Jesus says, friend, Rest with confidence that because you have the Holy Spirit, God will be faithful to supply you what you need in those moments. Therefore, you can remain loyal. It's not you doing that. If we're not careful, we can read this passage and say, okay, here, here's things I've got to do to remain loyal to Jesus and forget the fact that we are saved by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and that it is the work of God from beginning to end that sees us through. Therefore, we can trust him that even when we are weak, he is strong. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Brothers and sisters, our loyalty to Jesus matters. It matters more than anything else we do. It trumps all other loyalties. In fact, it should inform all other loyalties. And yet we live in a world, world where the loyalty that we have to Christ will be tested every single day. If that loyalty hasn't been tested today already, it will in some way. Jesus instructs us. Our loyalty will be proven in how we live, in what and who we fear, and what we confess. You know, it's easy to look like a Christian. It's an entirely different matter altogether to live as a Christian. To be loyal as a Christian to the very one who is hated by this world. So brothers and sisters, you will never have a neutral loyalty. You will either follow Christ or something or someone else. So may the Lord give us all grace to live faithfully, to serve fearfully, 
and to confess openly that Christ is King and He is worthy of all our allegiance and all our loyalty. And may you find that sufficient to sustain you today to the very day Christ calls you home or when he returns again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word which exhorts us, which shapes us, which conforms us, convicts us. Father, we thank you for this text from Luke 12, which speaks into our hearts, confronting us with things perhaps that we, we struggle with, hypocrisy, fear of man. Lord, would you use this word in our lives today to strengthen our loyalty to you? We know, Lord, that, that our loyalty is not perfect. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to not only endure the things of this world, the opposition, the, the attacks, Lord, even the temptations to sin? Lord, would you help us in our sense of loyalty to you? Lord, help us not to, to have the posture of really defense as a Christian. Father, help us to be those who are men and women who are pursuing righteousness and holiness, godliness, that our loyalty would be strengthened day by day by day, empowered by your spirit, informed by your word, that we may be a people of your possession, eager, eager to proclaim Christ. We would reveal hearts that fear you above all else. And that our lives would be marked by truth and faithfulness. Father, forgive us when we have failed in any of these ways. Confront us, correct us, and lead us on that we may honor you in every way. Thank you again, Lord, for your word and for speaking into our lives today. Help us to be diligent in our loyalty to you this very day as we expect and await that coming day. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his glory.